Well, good morning. I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. And we're asking the question as we walk through Mark, who is this man? Well, I'm going to tell you who this man is. This is the man who changed the world, who changed the eternal destinies of people. You've heard, all the, you've heard the, the, the testimonies for the people that are getting baptized today. And wow, what a, what a great thing that we get to witness and hear. So Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, uh, here, here's, the, here's the effort that goes on all the time in our world. In every, any ball team, organization, governmental institution, um, all the organizations, everybody doing anything has to do this. They have to recruit good people to get the job done. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of dollars that are being spent every year in recruiting. Because if you don't get the right people on the bus and build a team that works, you're not going to achieve the goals that you want. Now, I'm not a sports guy, okay? I, I should admit that. So it's with fear and trembling I make any sports reference. However, I did read about the Major League Baseball and how there is a huge effort to identify and recruit the best players to put them on the team so that your team can win. If you're a St. Louis Cardinal fan, you want them to recruit well, right? There's a couple lame fans in the room. My goodness, I expected a little more enthusiasm, but... And of course, go Chiefs. Okay, so you do want your teams to win. So there, there is this thing in baseball called, called the OPS plus score. Anybody know what that is? There are a few. The OPS plus score basically takes the stats for potential recruits and rates them. There's average, below average, and above average. Now, obviously, if you're trying to build a winning team, you don't want below average. You don't even really want average. You want above average. And so by, by meticulously studying these stats, you have a better chance of selecting winning players to go on a winning team. And that, that's what you want to do. So when Jesus comes and he's bringing the message that we should repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are you kidding me? This is the message that needs to be known throughout the world. And so what does Jesus do? He is going to recruit his team. And that's what we're doing in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now from all of the observations, because in, in this passage, every single one of the 12 are listed, all of the people that were, that, that were selected were, would not be on the OPS score of potential disciples considered well above average. They might have been average or below average. So, I mean, why did Jesus choose the 12 men he chose? Do you know why he chose them? Because they were ordinary. Come to think about it, <clears throat> If they were applying to be pastors in most churches, I don't think any of these 12s, as they submit their resume, fisherman, tax collector, I don't think any of them would have met very many of the qualifications as search teams are looking for a potential pastor. I mean, not one of them was known for their scholarship or their speaking ability. They were not theologians. They were outsiders of the religious establishment. <clears throat> 
They had no natural or intellectual talents. They were prone to mistakes, misjudgments, bad attitudes, and they lacked faith. They were prone to bitter failures. Every single one of them abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. They were argumentative. They are arguing with each other all the time. Jesus even said one time, boy, you are slow learners. That's not what you want to be called, is it? There was nothing special about these guys, nothing noble. And still, these men that Jesus selected turned the world upside down. And that's a quote from Scripture. Their ministry still affects us today. In fact, we're sitting in this room because the, the 12 disciples gave what they had into the hand of God. And the gospel has been preached for all of these years until it came down to you and me. Let's read Mark 3, beginning in verse 13. This is Jesus. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So there are two things that he wants these guys to do. Guys, I want you to be with me and I'm going to send you out to preach. So you're going to be preaching and, and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. And then he lists them. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, um, Simon the, 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 the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, um, also who, the, the one who betrayed him, and they, they went with him into the house. Okay, so these 12 are listed here. And these same groups, these same names, are consistently presented as the 12 disciples in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in the first part of Acts. Now, you may sometimes be confused because some of them have been called by their given name, but they also had nicknames, often that Jesus had given to them. I mean, when you start giving nicknames to your group, that means you're a pretty close group. You're a pretty tight group. I mean, that, that, that describes a little bit of intimacy going on in that group. Now, to, to, to uh, Simon, he says to him, hey, Simon, I'm changing your name to Peter, which means rock. Sons of thunder, that's, that's James and John. Why? Because they were hotheads. That's what that means, sons of thunder. Maybe you have people in your life that are sons of thunder or daughters of thunder because they're hotheads, quick fuses. They react. There's Thaddeus. Thaddeus actually was not the name. Thaddeus means, get this, mama's boy. And Jesus wasn't shy to assign nicknames, rock, sons of thunder, and mama's boy. These are the 12 men. Why were there 12 disciples? Why not 10? I can count to 10. I can remember 10 things a lot easier than I can remember 12. I don't know what it is. 
But why 12? The reason is stated in scripture because the 12 apostles were selected to replace the leadership of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Luke 22, 29 to 30, this is what is said. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, not as my father bestowed upon me, uh, just as my father has bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what was going on is that Jesus is in a way bypassing the establishment of the religious leadership because with everything they had done, they had failed to create an environment even to recognize the Son of God when he came. In Revelation 21, it talks about the apostles. I mean, how significant was was what they contributed? Revelation 21 Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. This is talking about the city of Jerusalem in heaven. 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates. The names are written on them, which were the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. These guys were given the most significant calling. It it is actually embossed in eternity. In verse 13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. Now notice, Jesus is doing the choosing. They didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose them. Now just imagine, I mean at this point, as we read in Mark, there are multitudes of people all around Jesus at all time. Now the 12 had already started following Jesus, but as the word of his healing of his casting out demons began to spread, more and more people showed up. They're called the multitudes because there literally were so many people trying to follow Jesus. They could not anymore be contained in any kind of an indoor setting. They wouldn't fit in a house. They would spill over into the courtyards. Jesus here actually went up to the mountain because he had to be outside in the mountains to, to accommodate the large crowd. And he stands up. And he makes this announcement, I'm going to call these people. And he says to the multitude, Simon, come. I want you to join me. Simon's in the crowd and he's like, me? Yeah, you. So Simon shuffles his way through the crowd and joins Jesus. I want James and John come up here. Judas Iscariot, I'm asking you to come. Then there's Mama's boy. You know who you are. Come on up here, Thaddeus. These men shuffle through the crowd toward Jesus, and everybody around them is wondering, 
What qualified them to be chosen by this great rabbi, this great healer, this great teacher of Israel? All of these guys, as they were called to the front, were totally unaware that it was their lack of qualifications that made them qualified. Not one of them was a rabbi. None of them was a scribe or a theologian, an academic, a priest, a Sadducee, a Pharisee. Not one of them fall into the exceptional leadership group of the day. And you might ask yourselves, why would Jesus pick these guys? Why wouldn't Jesus go on a tour and find those from the best schools, the strongest, the most influential, the best connected? Why didn't he pick people who had it all together, the achievers? Why wouldn't he pick the best? Because here's what God does. He chooses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. This is the divine strategy of God. How was he going to change the world with these guys? Actually, the truth is, God can use anyone to change the world. I love this. You know why? Because that means maybe he could use me. Maybe he could use you. I mean, I don't have to be the smartest guy. Isn't that beautiful? I don't have to be the most talented. I mean, I don't have to be good looking, thank the Lord for that, or rich. I don't have to have a perfect family. Anybody here have a perfect family? You don't have time for a testimony. I'm just saying, we're gonna go on. I I don't have to look a certain way. I, I I don't have to know all there is to know or be wise beyond my years. Jesus selected these ordinary men. So maybe he can use me. You know, the one thing I know for certain is this. I would never be chosen to play Major League Baseball or basketball or football. Can I tell you something? I wouldn't even choose myself. I'm a terrible athlete. And I don't even know if I would choose myself if I thought I had to be all that to serve Jesus, but Jesus says, I don't need you to be great. When I choose you, that changes you. It's not because we qualify or deserve to be chosen. God, by his choosing us for salvation and service makes us valuable. Left alone without his choosing, we have nothing to boast about. One of the reasons that God selects the lowly is because he selects the lowly so that there is no question where the power is. The power is not in us, it is in him. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 19 makes this very clear. For the message of the cross is foolishness. How do you like that? <clears throat> It is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God is not interested in using the wise and the clever of the world. 
Verse 26 of the same chapter in Corinthians. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I mean, look around. No one sitting here today has it all together. I mean, I see all of you. And I can tell you, you're all messed up. And so am I. Jesus did not pick us because of our intellectual abilities or our power because we are mighty. He delights in choosing the weak, the foolish, the ordinary. So that the power of God flowing through us will be clearly seen to be the power of God. Number two, we, we are chosen. And I've already mentioned that point, but that's so important. We are chosen. Our society is so obsessed with self-image, self-esteem, self-expression. I mean, the number of selfies that we take every single day. I mean, anytime we have a beautiful meal served at a fine restaurant, we got to take a picture of that because we want to impress all of our friends because you know what? I got to be good enough for everybody to think that I'm good enough. And and, and here, here is the problem with that strategy. It has led to an unprecedented level of depression and suicide because we all know we're not nearly as good looking as our selfish show. If you try to prove yourself that you're more than nothing, it ultimately is gonna leave you doubting and empty. Who among us is good enough? There will always be someone better. There will always be those who will put you down, declare that you are nothing. If our sense of well-being is based on our own self-efforts, we will always be in a panic to prove ourselves. But if we accept the reality that we are ordinary, we are even foolish and weak and despised, but the good news of the gospel is Hey, guess what? We've been chosen. I'm okay. Not because of what I've done, but because of who chose me. This is the foundation of our lives. If we want this to be the foundation of our lives, we will be on the strongest, most freeing, inspiring foundation known to mankind. You think I'm an idiot? 
You think I'm ugly? You think I have no value? Okay. But my foundation is not in what you think. It's not even in what I think about me. My foundation rests on the fact that the God of the universe, the King Jesus of heaven and earth, he chose me. So I'm going to be okay. You know, we live in a day when it seems like people's feelings are easily hurt. Now, I don't think you should be a bully for sure. But I pity the people that are constantly looking for the perfect environment where everyone affirms everything that they do and likes everything that they are. That's a recipe for disaster. Because guess what? From kindergarten all the way up, people are going to say bad things to you. They're going to put you down and hurt you. And and if you are so fragile because you are dependent on the opinion of the people around you and even your own opinion, you're in big trouble. But if your foundation is on the fact that the God of heaven who created all things and every person loves you and shows you and cares for you, let the winds of the opinions of people around us prevail and they won't knock us down. First Corinthians um, 1, 28 to 31, and I'm reading this in the LAT, NLT. God chose what is low and despised in this world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason You have a relationship with Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I got nothing to boast about, seriously. Except that I have a savior who tracked me down and saved me because he chose me. In Acts chapter four, the Jewish leadership, this is Acts chapter four after the resurrection and the, the, the disciples are preaching and healing and man, the Jewish leadership are like, they're in a frantic mode because they're thinking, we thought we got rid of Jesus, but what in the world is going on? Peter is healing in the name of Jesus. The crowds are even larger now. I mean, what, what in the world is going on? They were confounded by what, what the disciples were able to do. And so they called them in and in Fort, uh, Acts 4.13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized there's only one thing. These men have been with Jesus. Uneducated and untrained were just simply honest observations. But what they knew to be really so important was that these men had spent time with Jesus. This is so encouraging. Um, 
I honestly think about me standing in front of you all today. One of the things that made me not want to be a pastor or preach was the fact that I actually know me. How in the world can I stand up in front of you and tell you what to do? Well, I finally came to the conclusion that the only way I could ever do this would be to understand that I never can preach from a pedestal or perfection or having done it. I'm just like everyone else in this room. Did you know that? I stand in front of you today celebrating the fact that this good God in heaven has chosen us and has given us his word, and his word makes a difference in our lives. I'm like one beggar showing other beggars where to find some bread, and we found it as we study the word of God. And so let's just humble ourselves and ask God to be at work in our lives. This is the good news of the kingdom. You know, Peter, Peter was loud, boastful. He would say ridiculous things. He would have high successes and low lows. And Peter denied Jesus as Jesus was taken and tried. And then when Jesus looked at Peter who denied him, I mean, he was cut to the heart because Peter really did love Jesus, but he denied him in that moment. And then Jesus met Peter by the Sea of Galilee one day, and Peter got out of the boat, swam to Jesus on the shore, and they had a conversation. And you know, basically what Jesus said to Peter was, I want you, I want you to is paraphrase, is the Eddie Lyons paraphrase. It's not even authorized um, or consistent. Um, feed my sheep. Peter, you failed, but you're forgiven. Get back up and go do what I've called you to do. And Peter, in the intensity of the moment of Pentecost, did not fail but he preached and he preached a tough message and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized. Every, every pastor's dream is to be present during a revival. I love hearing about the sparks of revival in our country. Jesus used an ordinary man and through Peter proved that the power of God was at work. Lastly, you can't overlook the fact that these 12 men, they were named. They were named. There's 12 of them. So I, 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 if I would ask anybody to stand up and recite all 12 um, disciples, you probably couldn't do that. I don't, I don't know, maybe you can. Some of you are very smart. Um, I don't know that I could. I, 
I think we might all get Peter, James, and John, right? Maybe Andrew or maybe you'll remember Mama's boy, Thaddeus. I don't know. Thaddeus is not really a name. His name is Nathaniel. But, but they are all listed here. And I've, I've got it on a screen so that you can just kind of follow along with me. So there was Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. We don't know very much about all of them. We know a lot about some of them and a little bit about some of them and very little about some of them. Which is kind of interesting, isn't it? These guys' names are embossed on the foundation stones in heaven for all of eternity. And, and yet, some of them, we, we don't hardly know anything about them. The goal was not to make them celebrities. They were there to serve. But here's what we know about Peter. Peter's given name was Simon. Jesus' nickname for him was Rock. Because in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked, so who do men say that I am? And then he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, Peter got it right. James and his brother John both of these guys are the sons of Zebedee. We don't know very much about them, but Zebedee apparently was well known enough that when uh, Jesus was taken for his trial before the high priest, John is known in the circles of the people around that center of power. Um, what we do know is that Jesus nicknamed these two guys sons of thunder. Why? Because in Luke chapter 9, they went to preach in Samaria, and nobody would repent or believe what they had to say. And so um, they, they, their suggestion was, well, I mean, should we now command fire to come down out of heaven and consume these people? Jesus says, oh, James and John, you two are sons of thunder. We've got rock and the hotheads is what we have. I'm calling you to be evangelists, not terrorists. There was Andrew and Philip who were also brothers. There was Bartholomew, which really is not even a name. Bartholomew really is, it means Bar, which is son of Ptolemy. Son of Ptolemy. His real name is Nathaniel. Matthew, the tax collector, and everybody hated Matthew. Even the other 11 pretty much hated him at the beginning, but Jesus called him. Thomas, he, was, he is sometimes in the New Testament re referred to as Didymus. Didymus means a twin, and that's probably because we're assuming he was a twin, right? Why would you have that as a nickname? Um, there was James, James, the son of Alphaeus. He was, he's also referred to as James the Less. What that meant is that James the Less is, you're kind of like James the Shorty. He wasn't very tall. Thaddeus, as you already mentioned, means mama's boy. Simon was a zealot, a political guy that was all about uh, opposing the Roman occupation and then 
always last is Judas Iscariot. Judas is the saddest human being who ever lived. He had been given the greatest opportunity because he spent three years with Jesus, watching what he did, hearing what he taught. But Judas squandered this opportunity. And in the end, he sold Jesus out. No one would have predicted that these men would change the world, but they did because Jesus had chosen them. They were chosen by Jesus. They were ordinary men, and they turned the world upside down. These men were prone to sin, prone to do bad things, have bad judgment, have lapses in faith. They, they were prone to failure. Um, they were given the highest calling and commission anybody has ever been given. And today we are in their shadow. These men commissioned by Jesus. They changed the world. And how did their lives end? Well, Peter was crucified upside down only because when he was going to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Andrew, the, butter, the brother of Peter, was also crucified. He, he asked if he could only be tied to the cross rather than nailed so that his death would take longer. James was killed by King Agrippa, the only one that we actually know from Scripture how he died. The others is through the history and church fathers. And Philip was stoned to death preaching in Asia Minor. Matthew was burned at the stake. Thomas likely reached India and was killed by a spear. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death by the Jews for preaching about Jesus. Simon the Zealot preached the gospel in North Africa where he was sawed in half. Thaddeus preached the gospel in modern-day Turkey, and he was most likely clubbed to death. This group gave their lives for this message because they could not deny what they had come to see and believe, that Jesus was the literal Son of God come to save the earth, and there was no hope outside of Jesus. God chose these ordinary men and they courageously preached and gladly gave their lives. And the message of God is still the same. He has chosen us. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've been chosen. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have a calling and a commission. And you might be here today and say, no, wait a second, Pastor, I'm just too ordinary. Welcome to the club. You're in good company. Ordinary is what God delights to use. Oh, but I'm not very smooth-tongued, and I don't know everything there is to know about theology. Well, Thank you very much. God can still use you. What do you know? What can you say? What story do you have? You are a witness. 
Just do it. One of my favorite stories is the story of a Sunday school teacher, a man by the name of William Kimball. He volunteered to teach Sunday school at a church in Boston, and he had just a few teenage boys who attended his class. And when he spoke, these boys would often fall asleep. Now that's an encourager, right? Thank you all for not falling asleep. And those of you who are asleep, God bless you. But he, he, every week he would get up and he would, he would teach these boys. And during the week he would pray for each one of these boys by name. He prayed that they would come to Christ, that they would understand. And one of the boys that attended his class worked in his uncle's store downtown in Boston. And one day, Kimball had this sense that he needed to go down and talk to this boy personally. And so he went downtown and he found the boy in the store. He was stacking shelves. And at, when he found the guy, he, 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 he went up to him and he, he laid his hand on him. And he said, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you and you need Jesus to be your savior. And then he released his grip and he went away. And when he went away, he thought, man, that was the most awkward moment of my life. What in the world did I think I was doing? I didn't do anything. It was a ridiculous effort. But on that very day, April 21, 1855, this young man went to a park bench after having heard his Sunday school teacher and he prayed and accepted Christ, and this man's name was D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody would become one of the greatest evangelists of his day. Some have estimated that D.L. Moody was instrumental in leading a million people to Christ. He started the Moody Bible Church, the Moody Bible Institute, the Moody Radio and Publishing House. I mean, this guy was amazing. What if Edward Kimball had not said yes to have a bunch of sleepy boys in a Sunday school class, and rather than giving up, he prayed for them by name and one day went downtown Boston and put his hand on Moody and just said, hey, Jesus loves you and you need to be saved. That's not the end of the story. Because, well, Moody preached. One day he went to England and he came across a scholar by the name of F.B. Meyer and they invited him to tour with him. And one day F.B. Meyer was preaching, was speaking, and he said, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark changed the life of a struggling young minister by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman proceeded to become a powerful traveling evangelist in the early 1900s, and he recruited a, a new convert who was a, baseball, a famous baseball player, Billy Sunday. Under Chapman's influence, Sunday became one of the most spectacular evangelists of American history. And during his campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of business leaders came to Christ and they were so on fire that they pulled their resources and, and asked for him to come back for another revival. And they asked Billy to come. He said, I can't because I'm already booked, but I have a friend who's an evangelist. His name is Mordecai Ham. And so these men said, okay, well, let's, we've already planned this revival. We're raising the money. Come on, we, we want Mordecai Ham to come and, and preach the revival. On October 8th, Ham 
was so discouraged that he wrote a letter to God on the stationery of his Charlotte Hotel. Lord, give us a Pentecost here. Pour out thy spirit tomorrow. His prayer was answered because uh, beyond his dreams because a central high school student who was skeptical about this revival returned the second night of the revival and gave his life to Christ. And that high school student was Billy Graham who has preached to millions and is probably the most premier evangelist of our lifetime. His son Franklin continues the ministry. So you see, the point is this. You think you're ordinary? Well, then celebrate that. And say, okay, God, I'll have a conversation with somebody. I believe that you're going to use me. Not because I'm all that, but because you're all that. Young adults, happens every Tuesday in this room a few weeks ago in the young adult text, which I'm a part of, because I guess they think I'm still a young adult. No, I asked to be a part of it. One of the young ladies wrote this in the text. When from last night, she's talking about Tuesday night, after young adults, I noticed a girl standing by herself and looking around, so I went up and talked to her. And then she tells the name, and I found out that she's moved around a lot and doesn't have many friends here. I asked if she was in a group, and she said no, so we swapped numbers and I invited her to my group. We're supposed to meet up for coffee soon. Before our conversation ended, she had told me she was sticking around hoping someone would come up and talk to her that night. And she was so excited to be around some people that were her age so brave of her to come on her own and be vulnerable with a stranger. Pray for her to keep coming and to get invested in our community. Do you know how Jesus is gonna change this world? Through ordinary people. One conversation at a time. You're in church this morning. What if you were to stand up when we're dismissed and whisper a prayer and say, God, is there someone I need to show friendship to in this room today? Someone I need to meet? I'm pretty ordinary, but I'm willing. What would God do if those of us in this church decided we would go on being spectators of a church service and become part of an army of people, disciples of Jesus, who will embrace our ordinariness and celebrate that we have been chosen and go have some conversations. What do you think? Would you stand, please, and bow your heads?